It's uh, great to be here this morning. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Have you had a good Thanksgiving so far? Good, good. That's great. May the, uh, may the very finest of domestic poultry find its way into your belly today, right? <laughs> if you have your Bibles this morning, why don't you grab them? We're going to look at a passage in the book of Philippians this morning. For the next few weeks, we are, uh, we're going to dig deep into the book of Philippians in a series that Pastor Tim introduced to us just last week entitled, Living the Dream. Now, I want you to think for a moment about that phrase, living the dream, living the dream. Now, surely for some of you, that phrase, uh, living the dream, it conjures a positive vibe of your present reality. You are living the dream. Do I, can I show, see a show of hands? How many of you are living the dream this morning? Some of you? Okay, good. Good. So you're living the dream and you're living the life that you wanted to live and you're acquiring those things that you have always wanted to have. But for many of you, I'm guessing that that phrase, uh, living the dream, it probably conjures up something completely different. See, for some of you, living the dream is sort of a, it's sort of a sarcastic response to that sort of annoying question, how's it going, right? If you read between the lines and living the dream advances this idea of, of boredom, of frustration perhaps, of, of discouragement with one's current reality. And so here's how it typically plays out, right? Hey, Steve, how's work going? It's awesome, Mike. I'm living the dream, right? I'm living the dream. Well, I hardly need to remind us this morning that as Christians, we're called to something more than this. Amen? And so this morning, as we look at the book of Philippians, I want us to consider the following question. What is your definition of life? What is your definition of life? I want us to think about that as we read the Apostle Paul's words here in Philippians chapter 1 this morning. And we're going to start reading in verse 12. Philippians chapter 1 verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel." The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, 
Christ will be exalted in my body, body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Friends, clearly, this is not the testimony of a person who is bored or discouraged with life. And here's why. Because Paul has a definition of life that enables him to face anything and say, it really doesn't matter to me. Life, death, circumstances, because these are actually small things in the grand narrative of God's plan. Let me ask you this morning, what defines your life? What are you living for? What is the most important thing? What gets you out of bed in the morning? When people talk about you, when they think about you, what do others say excite you? What's the most important thing? You know, we really don't think a lot about these questions. That is, until something difficult happens. Well, something difficult, as we're about to see, has definitely happened to Paul here. And yet Paul has worked out a definition of life that has enabled him to face anything. So what is it that he's intent on communicating to the Philippians? And because God's word is inspired by extension, what does the Holy Spirit want to tell us this morning? What does he want to tell us? I want to suggest this morning that there's at least three key ideas about life here. And I want to frame it this way. Paul reminds us of the hardness of life. And Paul reminds us of the alchemy of life. Yes, alchemy. Hold on to that. We'll come back to it. And then Paul reminds us of the definition of life. The hardness of life, the alchemy of life, and the definition of life. And because Paul can grasp these things, he has a full understanding of what life is actually is. First of all, then, the hardness of life. And you can understand this, can't you? We can get that. We relate. Listen, Paul takes in stride the fact that life is hard. Look at verse 12. He says, I want you to know what has happened to me. Well, what has happened to Paul? What has happened to Paul? Paul, see, is facing a trial. He's in jail because he's preaching about Christ. And so Paul, as it says there in this passage, he's in chains. Literally, literally, what that means is that Paul is physically chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard, to a Roman guard. And so at all hours of the day, Paul just isn't in prison, friends. He's chained in prison to a Roman guard. And that means when he goes to the bathroom... Someone goes with him to the bathroom. And when he sleeps, 
he sleeps with someone chained physically to his body. Think about it. But Paul, he's not just in a demeaning and demoralizing situation. His career, by all accounts, also appears to be over. His career, see, is to plant churches. He's a church planner. But now, facing a trial under Nero, the potential of a gruesome, inhumane execution is entirely possible for this guy. And so it's not a pretty picture. It is not a pretty picture. Here we read a little bit more and we, we read all of Philippians and we gather that, that Paul and his friends, and specifically Paul's, actually, Paul's friends are actually quite discouraged by all this. Specifically, it's implied, if you read all of uh, Philippians, they're discouraged because of Paul's hardship. So let's, let's ask a, a little bit more about Paul, and let's learn a little bit more for a second. Paul, we know, is the main architect of the greatest Christian movement in the history of the planet. Paul can walk into any major metropolitan city in the Greco-Roman world, and he sets up shop. And he he publicly debates, and he attracts so many people, so many converts, that he leaves a church behind when when he goes. And then he does it again, and again, and again. And so he's this incredible leader, see? And the Philippians are discouraged, because they see that his life is about to be snuffed out. Here Paul is at the at the peak of his career. Some of you are at the peak of your career right now. Paul is at the peak of his career with tons of potential. We think of all the things that that Paul could be doing, and yet he's physically chained to a Roman guard. Can I ask this morning, what is the hardest thing life is throwing you right now? Think about it this morning. What's the, what's the hardest thing life is throwing you maybe right now? Is it a relational issue? Maybe it's, maybe it's something physical. Maybe it's an illness or, or, a, or a disease. Maybe it's, it's mental illness. Or, or, or maybe it's your job. Or, or maybe it's sheer exhaustion or utter despair. Whatever it is, it preoccupies you. It preoccupies you. It's a real struggle. It's a, it's a real, real challenge. And maybe in the midst of those obstacles, that obstacle that you're thinking about, deep down there are those questions that you're working so hard to suppress and push down and bury. God, how can you let this happen? How could you let this happen, God? What in the world is going on here, God? How could you allow this sort of suffering in my life this morning? Why does evil seem to prevail so much around me? Why is this so hard? Friends, these questions are hovering in and around Philippians chapter 1. But remarkably, astonishing really, Paul appears to have resolved those universal age-old questions. How does he do it? He recognizes 
that life is indeed hard. You know this. I know this. We know this together. But on top of this, he sees what we're calling this morning the alchemy of life. Well, what in the world does Tapper mean by alchemy this morning? Alchemists, Monked and Wesleyan, were people in the Middle Ages who were trying to find a secret of the secret of turning lead into gold. Some of you maybe know this. See, lead, alchemists thought, was a base, worthless element. And alchemists were, they were trying to discover the mystery of turning this base, useless element into something exquisite, something, something beautiful. Well, nobody, of course, ever figured out how to do this. But what Paul is saying is that God does this all the time with the circumstances of our life. Look again at verse 12. Paul says there, I want you to know what looked horrible has really turned out to actually advance the gospel. What does Paul mean here? I want us to think hard about this for a moment. We've already said that that Paul was a church planner, right? And, And where is he? Where is Paul? He's in prison. That's right. And specifically, what's going on with Paul? He's chained. He's chained to a Roman guard. Now, Paul's got some time on his hands, huh? (laughs) And so what do you suppose Paul is up to 24-7 with a Roman guard? (laughs) Well, at least Paul's got a captive audience. (laughs) I want you to think about that with me just for a moment. Can you you imagine what life must have been like for some hard-bitten, awful, mean-spirited guard who's chained to the most persuasive evangelist that the planet has ever known. And one by one by one, people are responding to the gospel. And so Paul says to the Philippians, you know what? I would not have planned it this way. This is, this is not the way I would have written this thing. But friends, it's turning out all right. It's turning out all right. Catch this. When Paul comes into a situation, he actually starts by saying, I wonder how God's going to turn this base, worthless situation into gold. Does he see the whole picture? No. Does he expect things to be smooth? No. Listen. Does he assume that healing and deliverance will be instantaneous? Or inevitable? No. No. But he remains convinced in the midst of it all that there's something bigger. Friends, if you go into the difficulties of your life knowing that God turns lead into gold, if you go into it saying, I wonder what God's up to here. In a sense, you're on top. You're on top. So that pressing thing that's preoccupying your mind this morning as you come into church, it is not, hear me, going to knock you down. And it's not going to destroy you. In fact, think of it 
God can actually use that pressing situation in your life today to actually change you and make you more beautiful. Are you with me this morning? Amen. More, Paul says, it's not just that God is turning my base circumstances into gold. God is turning me into gold through this. And so catch this. Paul is actually saying, I need this challenge. Hmm. Moncton Wesleyan, I make no qualms about what I'm about to say. This is advanced stuff. This is, this is the real deal. This is advanced Christianity. I'm showing us today what a great, godly person, a person who could face anything, a person who was a world leader, how he faced challenges. If you want to see what greatness looks like, here it is. Paul understands that there are no free passes in life. The reality is, life is hard. But he accepts that hardship, and he sees that God is not only turning his hardships into gold, he then turns around and says, God's turning me into gold. God's turning me into gold. Paul says, I need this. This this will refine me. This will make me more like my Savior. This will teach me humility through and by this happening. I am being saved. Is this automatic? No. No. When Paul says, I see the alchemy of life, I see that even when hard things happen, God is turning lead into gold. He then turns around and says, and here's how. And if, if you're looking for the pivot in this passage this morning, here it is. Here's the key, friends, this morning. Paul says, whether or not hard things refine you or turn you into gold def- depends on your definition of life. And the hinge that, that sets everything right are those potent words there in verse 21. Take a look at it. It's here that Paul tells us how it's possible that tough things can save and purify us. Here it is in verse 21. For to me, to live is is Christ. Is Christ. Friends, that's the definition of life. That's the definition of life. Listen. If you have a proper definition of life, you will be able to face anything. Anything. And if you don't have a proper definition of life, you won't. Paul gives us here the definition of life. For to me, to live means this is the, this is the thing that makes life life for me. This is my bottom line. This is the most important thing for me. And if I have this, I'm living regardless of what has taken place in my life. Friends, Our lives are defined by our bottom lines. And I don't need to remind us here this morning that there are many universal quests for bottom lines. But there is only one true bottom line. Amen? Amen. 
if you're uh, familiar with uh, C.S. Lewis, you might remember the, the Narnia adventure, the silver chair. Just a show of hands, some of you have, have read the silver chair. Okay. In one of the scenes, uh, sort of an arrogant, rather conceited young girl named Jill Pohl. She lands in Narnia with Eustace Scrub. Eustace Scrub uh, was a previously spoiled and whiny little child, really, who in an earlier visit to Narnia uh, experiences a transforming encounter with, with Aslan. Now, Aslan in the Narnia adventures is, is what? What's Aslan? The lion. That's right. He's the lion. And as a lion, he represents, he represents God. He's the God figure in the Narnian adventures. In one of those particularly poignant scenes there in the silver chair, Jill and Eustace are separated from each other in the Narnian forest. And Jill, she becomes thirsty. Well, within the forest, Jill, she hears the sound of a stream. And so her thirst, it begins to drive her increasingly to the source of that sound. But she proceeds cautiously because she's afraid. And when she gets to the source of the stream, she's paralyzed by what she sees. There is Aslan in all of his splendor, huge and golden still, but looming. And she's paralyzed by what she sees. And so Jill waits. And she wrestles with her, with her thoughts. She doesn't know exactly what to do. Finally, out of the silence, Aslan speaks, If you're thirsty, you may drink. Oh, I'm dying of thirst, says Jill. Then drink, says the lion. But Jill, she's still deathly afraid. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I come, says Jill? I make no promise, says the lion. Well, I shouldn't come and drink, says Jill. Then you will die of thirst, says Aslan. Oh dear, says Jill, I suppose I must go and look for another stream then, to which Aslan replies, there is no other stream. There is no other stream. Friends, you know what the quest for other streams looks like. For to me to live is pleasure, but take away those temporary pleasures and what's left? For me to live is to be strong and tough and be in control, still thirsty. For me to live is to be a good person, resulting in an endless search for moral virtue. For me to live is family. Are we okay? Or friends? Or career? Or spouse? Or children, but when circumstances or tragedies or obstacles go after even those bottom lines, what then? We're left thirsty. Catch it. Like Jill in the forest, and like Paul here in Philippians, sooner or later, friends, we're all faced with the choice. We either change our bottom line 
or we die of thirst. Friends, tragedies and troubles will come. And they'll chip away at any human attempt of living the dream. Whatever that elusive dream is for people. And unless we change our definition of life, will collapse. Paul says, there is only one definition of life. There is only one bottom line. There's only one most important thing that will stand up to anything. And he gives it to us. To live is Christ. Paul proclaims it clearly. And he knows that not even death can take that away. Think about that. Not even death. Listen, if, if your life feels like it's collapsing this morning, maybe the problem is not your circumstances. Maybe it's your definition of life. If your life is collapsing because your career is collapsing, it's because your career is your life. If your life collapses when your loves collapse, it means that the loves are your life. This morning, God says, come and drink. Come and drink from a water source that will bring you real and everlasting life. And friends, the living water is not opposed to the greatest things in your life. It's the quintessential source of anything and everything that's great. Amen? Amen. You've been attentive. We're about to close. Earlier in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says this. He says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And then four verses later in verse 10, he prays that the Philippians may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. There's that statement again, until the day of Christ. You know, the, uh, the Christian church holds onto the hope of this amazing and, and crowning day when, when God will redeem everything in creation on that day of Christ. That's our hope. Am I the only one, though, here this morning that says, God, man, I just, I wish you would hurry up a little bit. I wish you would, I would just wish you would just hurry things up. I mean, it, it's hard to believe the stuff that we've just read here this morning. When everything around us is, is just about the opposite. Jesus, I, I wish that you would just come and make things good now. But church, there will come a day when Christ is physically revealed in this world. And when he is, whether people follow Jesus or not, they will know in a second what the true definition of life is. And tragically, some will go, oh my goodness, we missed it. We missed it but not you, friends. Not you. 
Because God is completing his phenomenal plan in and through each of you. You see and understand that life is hard. And you see and understand how God can turn the lead in your life into gold. And for you to live is Christ. And so until that day, let's live together, not for some some cheap lesser dream, but let's live together for Christ. And let's exalt Christ with our lives. Amen? Amen.